Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hey, before we start the show, I think you should be getting our newsletter. It's possible, I accept, that you do not listen to every podcast that we publish every week and uh, get a chance to read every news story. If you miss anything, it's all summarized in our weekly newsletter. And to sign up, just go to our website, canadalandshow.com, and there will be a pop-up that says, I think you should be getting our newsletter. I think you should. Go check it out. Jaskaran Sandhu, former executive director of World Sick Organization, fellow at Civic Action Greater Toronto Hamilton Area, Occasional Canada Land contributor. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we're going to talk about Aaron O'Toole. He is protecting the most vulnerable members of society against a movie that he absolutely has not seen and seems quite confused about. And Terry Molesky dusts off his mustache to troll an entire ethnicity. Again, good to have you here. Terry Molesky just bringing great shame to mustaches everywhere. <laughs> This episode is brought to everyone by Sean Spencer, Peter James, Samantha Ponting, Edith Sinclair, Ian McNeil, Kathy Smart, Leanne Lankinen, and Rhiannon. 
My name's Rhiannon, and I'm a freelance journalist in Whitehorse. I support Canada Land because I think it's important to pay for the media you consume and the media that you want to exist. Even though I find Jesse insufferable at times, we need media criticism in Canada. And as a journalist myself, I want to support it financially. Vous dites quoi à la guerre On va danser au concours well, this movie Cuties, it, it sexualizes 11-year-old girls, has them dancing like strippers, has them in very suggestive sexual roles, and, and, and it's, it's frankly disgusting. Cuties. Cuties, just Karen. Um, a lot of people talking about cuties. Here's uh, the new the new leader uh, for the Conservative Party of Canada, Aaron O'Toole. He said on Twitter, I'm a dad. I'm a dad who is deeply disturbed by this Netflix show. Childhood is a time of innocence. We must do more to protect children. This show is exploitative and wrong. And he said that as he retweeted the True North Center, who are also mad about cuties. Uh, claiming that it uh, sexualizes 11-year-old girls, that Netflix is uh, sexualizing 11-year-old girls. And the Truth North Center, of course, is the media wing of an anti-immigrant think tank. Any thoughts on cuties, Jaskarin? Well, I think this is typical of Jesse Fashion, where you're finding negative things to cover here. Why aren't you celebrating the fact that Aaron O'Toole quote-tweeted True North, a uh, fellow independent media that's challenging the mainstream, just like yourself? <laughs> because True North, uh, in as much as it is... Uh, a media group, I guess that's just a statement of fact that they create media. Um, it is the media wing of an anti-immigration think tank. <laughs> we got to back up here. Like, cuties is not what it is being described as. And that's partly Netflix's fault. Yeah. It's uh, understandable that this movie offended people when you look at the difference between the original poster for Mignon. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, am I saying that right? Do you know? No, Mignones? no, I, I'm not very no. good at French. Mignon, I, I think I turned it into kind of a Spanish thing there, um, <laughs> where it's it's a much more wholesome poster where these these like tweens are just kind of walking down the road. The American version, the 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 Netflix Canadian American poster, is a very hypersexualized picture of the stars of this movie, but it completely misrepresents the movie. I'll confess I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but I've uh, I've dug into it a little bit. Barry Hertz from the Globe and Mail, he jumped on this and uh, offered a critique to Aaron O'Toole and he said cuties excoriates the very things that people like Aaron O'Toole claim it propagates a hundred percent guarantee you that Aaron O'Toole has not seen cuties and cuties is a film not a show and then wrote about that for the globe and then Barry Hertz was set upon by a frightening massive wave of internet lunacy that I think is associated with the whole QAnon thing and that believes that child exploitation is uh, like Tom Hanks is in on it and so is Oprah and Netflix is a plot to hand over your daughter to human trafficking rings. What has Aaron O'Toole stumbled into? Yeah, this is what surprised me right away. Like it wasn't so much that someone has uh, an opinion on what is effectively really bad marketing. The two things that stood out was first, quote tweeting True North. I think that sends an important signal as much as any. Aaron O'Toole uh, or the Conservative Party of Canada is, is going to be looking towards folks like True North and propagating or pushing messaging, uh, which is kind of surprising, but not really. 
Uh, and then secondly, this is definitely has the feeling of uh, folks reading the headline of a story, but not actually reading the story and forming opinions on it that they think are very true. The movie is actually the opposite of what Aaron O'Toole or a lot of folks uh, in the right wing, especially down south, are trying to make this out to be. Criticize the marketing. By all means, criticize it. The movie itself, though, is, is actually aligned with what they're saying is that we're exploiting kids in a way that's just not healthy. And it's society pressure that's doing it. On that last point there from that story in the Globe and Mail, like, is this really what the Conservative Party wants to be pushing right now? Like, this is what's important. This is what uh, requires immediate and direct attention from the leader of the uh, official opposition. Uh, it's kind of strange. Yeah, quoting Hertz's piece in The Globe, he writes, you know, Cuties is a nuanced, tender, and powerful coming-of-age story focusing on a young Senegalese child who is torn between her devotion to her religious family and her desire to fit in with her secular Parisian friends. It's a clear indictment of the choices that contemporary society forces upon young girls. There's a couple things happening, one of which I think is ages old and one of which is scary and new. Conservatives just sort of seizing upon a piece of art that seems to, on the surface, you know, be it like, you know, Robert Maplethorpe back in the day or, or whatever, like to people who are have don't really have experience with that work of art, it emotionally pushes a button of, um, you know, moral panic. That's an old thing the conservative politicians have been doing for a very long time. But the aspect of this that I think is concerning is, you know, Canadian conservative politics has been trying to figure out how to orient itself in relation to the massive wave of conspiracy theory, online hate. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's a very, very complicated system. And I don't mean to, it's not just one thing, but it's a huge and at times frightening force that has the ability and has the numbers to actually form a political base that can get people elected in the United States, but has yet to prove itself um, such in Canada. And, you know, we've seen this kind of dance where our politicians are like, well, there's a lot of uh, a lot of Canadian support for these memes and, you know, this whole QAnon thing of like all these people in their basements who are, think that they're rooting out child predators and they're searching the backgrounds of videos for symbolism and, you know, the Trudeau Foundation, this. And I saw this with the We story where there are people who are saying, yeah, go get them, Canada land, because they're involved in, in international child traffic. Absolutely not. There's not a shred of evidence. Like, you know, to people who see the world through these like conspiracy goggles, everything starts to make sense in, in this uh, lunatic. A anyhow, Aaron O'Toole is very early on trying to like, you know, orient himself. And I think that in every other way, he's been careful not to associate himself with these really uh, divisive and ugly and dank strains. But uh, and maybe he didn't know where this was coming from. It just seemed like an easy win for him. But, uh, you know, there be dragons. This is kind of the interesting time we live in, right? Like conspiracy theories are always there. In the past, though, if you had a conspiracy theory and you brought it up to a room of like friends or peers, you would get enough diversity of thought that we can all laugh about the conspiracy theory and kind of move on with our lives. What's happening nowadays is that you can find a critical mass of folks who think just like you curate your list accordingly, and you never really come up against reality. And you just go deeper and deeper into this hole. Like all of us have buddies who believe in, in this stuff to some degree. And we can fight them on our WhatsApp chats. Uh, but at the end of the day, they have a big group of other folks they can go to and reinforce uh, their opinions on these matters. That's a dangerous part of it, right? And outlets 
like True North or otherwise, who will continue to you know push out content that may help amplify or confirm some of their beliefs is, is also really troubling. And Aaron O'Toole, our leader of uh, the Conservative Party, you know, quote tweeting or retweeting from some of these sources just continues to lend credibility to these uh, platforms, which is what, what I think is actually really concerning. You know, people are always going to pass judgment off headlines or posters without actually diving into the the real content. This is an issue as old as time. And I think Netflix was was correct in apologizing to the filmmaker that uh, sorry uh, for essentially framing this movie in a way that it shouldn't be and not allowing folks to kind of see it for what it is and misrepresent it for what it's not. Yeah, I just I just hope that the firewall we have between this this uh, gross culture is strong, and I worry that it's uh, I worry that it's really porous, and I just don't want to see like dudes in Saskatchewan showing up at some pizza like place with a gun. Like when you can convince people that they are protectors of children, it kind of justifies any kind of behavior. Well, yeah, it provides them a platform where they think they're acting uh, in the right. Like they're in the pure, they're in the know, they're actually doing something that no one else is taking seriously and what the hell is wrong with everyone else. I think the one thing that Canada has going for it that the United States doesn't in these matters is like there's not enough critical mass here, not yet at least, to make this a, a force that pushes uh, decision makers in a certain direction. Whereas in the States you know, 10 times the size, it's easier to find enough folks to get together to become a force to reckon with. In Canada, it's a little harder to do that. But, you know, things can change. Like, it's not like we're immune from what's happening in the States. Everything that happens in the States, we feel. I see it. I see with more regularity just in my own circles, purely anecdotal and maybe just reflection of me and my circles, that you see more of these conspiracy theories pop up with a certain amount of conviction you just wouldn't see in the past. Well, when you've got like, you know, mainstream, uh, really reasonable looking people like Aaron O'Toole moving these ideas and these memes on, uh, into acceptability and into the mainstream, that's how you build critical mass. That's how you launder these uh, theories. Which is why it needs to be called out right when you see it. Just, Karen, this is your first time. You've written for our website, but this is your first time on Shortcuts. Maybe you know that we, we try to duly note things that might otherwise go overlooked. Have you brought something? To duly note today? Yeah, um, I have. While it has received some ink recently, Bill 21 is a issue that continues to be a problem for my Muslim, Jewish, Sikh brothers and sisters in Quebec, as well as others who practice their faith uh, freely, as they should in this country, in the, the face of uh, so-called secularism. And Aaron O'Toole came out uh, the other day the first time publicly since becoming leader, essentially saying, well, he personally has issues with it. He's not going to do anything about it. But then in French, gave a stronger answer in support of it uh, by saying he will always support secularism. Now, I don't know about you and everyone else, but my definition of secularism isn't infringing on people's religious freedoms. It's essentially just not getting in the way of it as a state. I think that's something that needs a lot more attention. This was... um, something that hasn't gone away since the election and it continues to be an ongoing problem for folks in that province. Duly noted. I have one to share with you. I'm all yours. Guess what? It's about we. The greatest charity on earth. I'll try to keep it brief, but listen, it, it's been a week now since We Charity announced that it's finished. You know, show's over. And you, you destroyed it, didn't you? I, I don't know how you can destroy something that is still here and going to be here for a very long time. And the actual, you know, the, the reports of its demise, I think, have been greatly exaggerated. But that's what they said. They're finished. They're going to close up shop in Canada. The Kilbergers are stepping down. 
And I think that that announcement is starting to have its intended effect. There were a few days of media scrutiny, some really good reports, actually. I don't think anyone was buying that. I mean, there was a lot of good coverage as to why those words should be viewed skeptically and, and how the charity is not going anywhere anytime soon and all the other entities are still with us and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it's been a week and now the scandal is receding from the headlines. It's no longer in that like hot topics bar at the top of the Globe and Mail's website. It will flare up again when Parliament is back in session and the inquiries uh, come back to life. But so far, I think that this is a Kilberger strategy that's been working. I mean, remember, they made that big announcement hours before a Raptors playoff game, which I understand uh, some people um, care deeply about. Their kind of exclusive interview with CTV News, Lisa Laflamme of CTV, their, their media partner, that interview took place, you know, the same night as that Raptors game. And I'm not sure how many people actually watched it, but I did. And I want to duly note one bewildering moment in that interview, among many, but a moment that I think has been widely overlooked. This concerns like a gaping hole in their story, their narrative that um, the reason why they need to shut down We Charity in Canada is because of, of money, essentially, that they don't have enough of it um, because of the pandemic, because of the political scandal, the political freight train, as they call it, the donations have dried up. There's more money going out than coming in. That That's all very plausible to me. But they say they need to salvage what they have left, all that real estate. They're going to use that money to salvage what is most important. Every cent of that, of what they have left before it all disappears, is needed to protect the most important work that they do, the international development work they do in Africa and elsewhere, because that money literally saves lives. And Craig Kilberger says that again and again, that, that they're literally saving lives abroad. And the discrepancy is that they also have as part of their narrative that they just sort of abandoned $5 million to the government, that they had every right to recoup. They spent $5 million on the volunteer grant program, and then when there was a lot of political pressure around that money, they said, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's within our rights to ask for that back, but uh, we're not going to. We're just going to eat that expense. And now we're told that that all that money could be saving lives in Africa. And uh, CTV anchor Lisa Laflamme does a great job of pressing them on that point. The cost to we, you say, is $5 million and that you've elected to waive your right to repayment on that. How could any charity even think about eating $5 million? We wanted to waive the repayment of that because we wanted to ensure that Canada didn't bear a burden but on this entire experience. But to your point, I'd like to issue a challenge to the Prime Minister. So we didn't have to waive that $5 million in expenses. So that's an extra $5 million the government has. I hope the Prime Minister gives that $5 million directly to the students who signed up for the program and who never got their scholarship this fall. But, okay, that's an interesting challenge to the Prime Minister, but to your charity, today you are making a huge announcement and a week ago you announced you're eating $5 million. It, it doesn't make sense. But it's the right thing to do. And I want to duly note the Kilbergers' answer. Very noble. <laughs> duly noted. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, 
and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Just, Karen, I spent, uh, I don't know, a good year with a Twitter feed clogged up with Terry Malefsky tweeting angry things at me the last time that uh, I talked about his, I think it was with reference to his interview with Jagmeet Singh. He got the first CBC interview with Jagmeet. He was filling in from retirement. He came in on Power and Politics and he like, I guess he 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 pressed Jagmeet to make a, a loyalty oath to decry the architect of the Air India, uh, like, like I guess because he's sick, he had to, he had to denounce a sick terrorist. Yes, I had a conversation uh, with Omar Mualim about that, and we paid a steep price for daring to <laughs> criticize him, and at great length and a great difficulty, that died down. And then just last week, suddenly I got carried. I didn't even tweet. I didn't do anything. I'm out of this, man. And there were like 400 tweets that I was tagged in where Terry Malevsky was fighting with people and you were one of them. What the hell happened? Did it just all happen again? What happened? Yeah, look, there's been a running battle for the last two or three years between, um, well, the Sikh community and Terry Malevsky, but also in this great story, Terry Malevsky and I are arch enemies. (laughs) And yeah. (laughs) And it, it actually gives me great purpose in my life. I'm not going to lie. The Sikh community has always had an issue with Terry Molesky's uh, perspective and views on the Sikh community in Canada, the Khalistan movement, which is the Sikh sovereignty movement based in uh, India over the 80s and 90s and, and continues to this day. There's a lot of political free speech around this, a lot of thought, a lot of debate within the community on this. But Terry Molesky thinks he knows better and he likes to tell Sikhs what Sikhs are doing which annoys and irks a lot of Sikhs. If there's one thing that unifies us as a people, it's our collective disdain for Terry Molesky. <laughs> because he does he does such a garbage job Ugh. of explaining the Khalsan issue, of explaining the Sikh community and the diaspora, like understanding what the Khalsan movement is. He does such a piss poor job. But the problem is because he 
was until recently a legitimate journalist, at least in the eyes of the mainstream. He had a platform that we just couldn't replicate or compete with. Uh, and if you look at like the previous generation, like before us, who we uh, as a community collectively call with great love, actually, our uncles and our aunties, they couldn't effectively fight Terry because of just how asymmetrical like the platforms were. That changed, obviously, with the younger generation. You got Twitter, you got different social media platforms where you can go toe-to-toe with the guy and start really challenging him. And over time, this has increasingly irked him and angered him. And, and a lot of it is on, you know, like, we take great enjoyment in doing that. So a, a lot of back and forth, obviously, and then those India trip with Trudeau, which, you know, brought out a lot of this again. I'm going to fast forward a bunch because I can talk about this for literally hours. Recently... Uh, Terry Molesky put out a report with the McDonald Laurier Institute. And I use the term report very loosely. It's more like a grade 10 high school essay. He puts out this report and he essentially insinuates that anything you see around sick advocacy, regardless of what it is, is pushed and backed and actually the work of the Pakistan government. And he completely dismisses the Sikh communities. He didn't dismiss the Sikh community advocacy. He really launches really strange and outlandish claims that have no backing and no evidence. And that really angered a lot of people. It's the first time I've ever seen this. Really unprecedented. 50 academics, either that are Sikh or work in spaces that touch upon the Sikh community or Sikh history, penned a letter to the McDonald laurie Institute, to Terry Molesky and Ojal Assange, so former British Columbia Premier and former federal Liberal Cabinet Minister, as well as Shovaloy Majamdar, who is a MLI Program Director and a Monk Senior Fellow for Foreign Policy, who uh, assists in writing the foreword here, dismissing and calling out this report and ask, asking that it gets extracted, uh, retracted, sorry, uh, and an apology is given because of just how poorly it's written. This thing will never pass a grade 10 social science class, let alone a, like a legitimate peer review. It doesn't triangulate claims. There's no academic rigor. There's no contextually based journalistic analysis. Nothing that you would normally associate with the report. So it begs the question, right, uh, for your listeners. Either these 50 plus academics are Pakistani funded terrorists or, and hear me out, or Terry Molesky's an idiot. That's the grand question you have to ask yourself. Well, those are a lot of unkind things about Terry Malevsky, who uh, who is not here to defend himself. Good. And and you know this is uh, this is a media criticism show where we we criticize things in the media. And this you know report was released, and then there was a social media backlash, and then there were other repercussions. And I think that in theory, it's okay for Terry Malevsky to have a different opinion than a lot of people, but I'm going to very foolishly endeavor to try to get my head around this and, and summarize this, and please tell me when, when I get something wrong here. Yes. This is my outsider's perspective on this, to try to boil it down, is that, uh, you know, why is he so engaged with this in the first place? I think he he hangs his hat of his whole career on his coverage of the tragic Air India bombing. Let's give him some benefit of the doubt that he feels some sense of, you know, a journalistic crusaders. Nobody cared about the victims of this or nobody cared as much as him or he was their advocate in some way and he's going to carry that torch. I think that's, let's let's say that that's legitimately how he feels. But in, in his coverage for the CBC, an, an, an unfortunately uh, titled piece called Samosa Politics that aired on uh, national CBC News. Yes. Through his interview with Jagmeet Singh, this is asymmetrical warfare. He's entitled to his opinion, you're entitled to yours, but he had the CBC. The community had nothing of, of the sort. And where, where the ideological rift seems to happen is that if I got this straight, mm-hmm. he, he wants to define 
the independence movement, the Khalistani movement, as pretty much synonymously equivalent to terrorism. Yes. And, and essentially, it's sort of hard to take any Khalistani position that isn't pro-terrorist, that isn't uh, glorifying and venerating this, uh, this terrorist murderer. Um, and, and, uh, and also, he asserts that Khalistanism is just like a totally fringe thing. That, uh, that you know, it's really only, even within the Sikh community, kind of a, a radical fringe that's into this at all. And the Sikh community keeps saying, no. That's not accurate. A, we're not all radicals, we're not all into violent uprising, and we're not all terrorists. And B, it's not a tiny fringe. Do I have this right so far? Yeah, look, and I'll say straight up, there's there's legitimate uh, legitimate questions that a journalist can ask about this, right? There's legitimate stuff that he can dig into and present and have a conversation about. Uh, the issue uh, is multifold. When I wrote that uh, piece for Canada Land, it was about the fact that like sick voices are often cast aside or ignored in, as part of this coverage, which was a, an issue that's consistently presented itself at the CBC, uh, especially during uh, Terry Molesky's tenure. And as far as uh, the other point you made there about you know trying to say that Khalistan is synonymous with terrorism is just outright wrong. What's missing really is the, the historical context. The the Sikh people were an independent kingdom till 1850, and then spent you know 90 or 100 years under uh, British rule, uh, and then post independence, part of India. But there's a lot of historical context that led to the movement, and then the argument around well, it's fringe. It really isn't, and the Khalistan movement is very diverse, and the conversations that happen within the community is very diverse. You know, I get quoted in this McDonald Laurier Institute report. Uh, and it's like a really odd quote that he includes, a tweet that I sent out, where I essentially make the claim that if this is such a fringe concept and such a fringe movement, why is it that the leader of the Akaltakt, and this is like a really brutal comparison, but it's just very hard to kind of align this with like a more Western, like Judeo-Christian kind of understanding, but like the Akaltakt is like the Vatican. Mm-hmm. The Jatadarda, like the leader of the Akaltakt, is kind of like the Pope. Terrible comparison, but it's like the closest I can give you. Sure. He's on record saying the Khalistan movement is a legitimate movement. If India was to give us Khalistan, we would take it. Like this is something that is of utmost concern to the community. That just happened like literally, that happened actually a couple of days ago again. And then the quote that I was I used was from about a month or two ago. Like this is anything but fringe when like the actual temporal leadership and center of the Sikh world is talking about it as well. And then within the diaspora, what Terry Molesky and others tried to say is this is a fringe movement, but it's also a fringe move that only exists because Pakistan is making it exist, which strips any agency that we have as a people to have these conversations. And it kind of casts it's cast this misconception that somehow that any kind of lobbying or any kind of conversation that happens around this from a minority community like mine is somehow dubious. And as a result of like foreign funding, or we have like dual loyalties of some sort, or that we shouldn't be taken seriously whatsoever. And then there's the final piece, right? Like the 80s and 90s uh, saw what the Sikh community sees uh, as a genocide of, of the Sikh people. Uh, we saw attack of our, our center. So again, imagine the Vatican or Mecca getting attacked and bombed. It's a very troubled past uh, that we're allowed as a community to talk about and advocate on because justice is still outstanding. In fact, some of the politicians that were involved in uh, the targeted state-sponsored killing of uh, six around India were promoted and are actually still in power. Justice has never been provided, and these people walk freely. So any advocacy around the human rights stuff is also casted uh, in the same kind of dubious light that Terry Molesky is trying to put on this, uh, which is just so stripped of any reality. 
So who's right and who's wrong? Who speaks for the sick community, Terry Malevsky, or the sick community? Well, we kind of have an answer to that question because 50 of the most prominent academic six all signed this letter decrying this report and and quoting from its introduction, which, uh, which is really... I think uh, the kids say problematic in the intro, the intro decries steady and predictable drumbeat of victimization, persecution and genocide commemoration presented as steps to assist a community in need of healing. Like it's not a piece of journalism. It's really an opinion piece where if you apply that to anybody else or like, you know, Black Lives Matter movement in relation to slavery or Jews talking about the Holocaust. Oh, a steady and predictable drumbeat of victimization. Well, it's like, here comes the Jews talking about the Holocaust again. Oh, my God. Like, fuck you, buddy. Yeah, seriously. And also this removal of agency, uh, as, as you point out in this like, oh, no, this is all Pakistan putting them up to it. And then saying that that in Pakistan, jihadist groups have made common cause with six separatists against their shared enemy, India. As I read this, it's not simply that the Sikh community is offended by Malevsky. It's that he continues to have this privileged space of, uh, you know, this think tank report from, you know, the McDonald-Laurier Institute to say these things. And then embassies, Indian embassies all around the world are retweeting the report. There is this disparity of power. So, like, why we're talking about this in the form of a critical chat on this show and not like a debate that I would put in a journalistic package on, on, on our Monday show is because this guy has more platform than he probably deserves. And he's certainly not going to get a piece of this one. This screams white privilege, right? Like Terry Molesky at one point wrote a story about six, and now he's seen as an expert whose voice on the sick community is more important than those from the sick community itself, which is why I think like this academic letter was so powerful. Like this is unprecedented. This has never happened before. And I could tell you for a fact, like those academics that lent their names, like some of them are chairs of sick studies. They're, they're from Harvard, they're from Yale, they're from UBC, they're from like leading institutions in North America. The actual issue here is Terry Molesky and a really, really poor, haphazard uh, kind of analysis of uh, the the issues, right, and of the Sikh community. No, nah, man, no, nah, man. The issue isn't Terry Molesky. Terry Molesky is is a is a retired uh, CBC journalist who the CBC has asked him to remove <laughs> CBC from his Twitter handle. Okay, Terry Molesky can be an old retired man who thinks whatever he wants to think. The issue here is that uh, the Canadian establishment trades platforms and and privilege and a big megaphone amongst itself in perpetuity. And, and you never age out of your establishment status and you can never lose it by saying dumb shit. Like once you're in, you're in. I mean, I think that the galling thing here is that even in his sort of afterlife of, of I think, afflicting the, your, your community, here he is like, ex, you know, like zombified by the McDonald-Laurier Institute uh, saying these things on a, on a big stage again. And it's, it's, it's a Canada thing. You bring up this point that like, I've never seen this before either, where every single consulate, like embassy from Tajikistan to North Macedonia to Canada, immediately retweets and shares this report as if it's like this grand, see, we told you guys moment. And the establishment in Canada provided that at the cost of its own citizens, right? Of six in Canada uh, and completely uh, ignore like a, a actual thorough analysis of this issue. It's it's such like it's garbage. And you, we talked about the forward there where they talk about this drumbeat that came from Ojal Dasanj and Shovaloy Majumder. And both of those guys, they're not even six. Like you have you have three people speaking on this report directly about the Sikh community in a way that's actually quite offensive. And none of them are sick. None of them are speaking from the community. And 
uh, one of the scholars uh, brought up this point, what she found really shocking. You have 17 sources, 17 sources in this whole report, and not a single one of them is academic. They're secondary sources. Uh, and this is what you're building your entire thesis on the community. My good friend, uh, Harmon Condola, uh, out in Edmonton, we, you know, we've had conversations about this a hundred times, but you know, how do we actually uh, respond to this in a way where we're not just pushed aside and cast aside as dubious characters that are bought out by Pakistan? And it finally happened with these academics, which is why I think this is such like an important little moment for Sikhs in this country, but also an important moment in fighting uh, against that establishment, that is actually quite frankly, yeah, the, the root of the problem. Just Karen, uh, that's uh, Canada Line Shortcuts for today. Thank you for joining me for it. Well, thank you for having me, Rant. That's what we do. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read what you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Jaskaran, where can people find you? Uh, at Jaskaran Sandhu underscore on Twitter. That's where I do most of my stuff. Um, and uh, you can see me rage against the machine there. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com, where I think you should sign up for our newsletter. It's really easy. Go do it. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, please support us. Thank you.